It's been a really strange offseason. Vis-a-vis dogs running onto the field. You made it. We're not sabermetricians. That's all behind us now. Yeah, I got in trouble, but it was worth it. It was totally worth it. It was worth it. Totally worth it. One last time for 2018. Hello and welcome to the Flushing Transit Authority. We're a Mets podcast. Uh, I'm Jay Bushman and I'm here with my co-host Will Stegman. Good morning, Will. How you doing? Hey, Jay. How are you? I feel like I am swinging two bats in the on-deck circle (laughs) for the last time this season. Yeah. Well, so, like, let's start off with, you know, where we are today. Happy David Wright Day. Happy David Wright Day to you. We're uh, we're recording this uh, the morning of Saturday, September 29th. Uh, Later today, David Wright will play the final game of his major league career. And it's it's, it's bittersweet. It is. Um, Remember, though, tomorrow... All David Wright candy will be fifty percent off. So that is the best part about David Wright Day every year. Every year, yeah. you see the candy in the store <laughs> earlier and earlier. My neighbor has had the big number five lit up <laughs> on his house for three weeks now. I, I see. The only thing that that bugs me about it though is that every year it seems like there's just more and more inane chatter about the war against David Wright, and it's, it's just like, can we just give that a rest? Right. Look, I want to say Happy David Wright Day. <laughs> I don't look. Don't make me say Happy Baseball Holiday. <laughs> We only reserve that kind of ire for the people who celebrate Jose Reyes Day. Well, yes. <laughs> Look, and I respect the fact that, you know what, believe what you want to believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I don't go throwing my David Wright Day in your face. <laughs> this is going off the rails. Yeah, okay. We went off the rails really early wow. today. That's I, great. I'm halfway right, through this so. coffee and we've gone crazy. All right, let's bring it back. So it's David Wright Day today. It is, and you're right. It's a bittersweet day. Um, I want to, I think it's important that I need to sort of cop to something. Um, I'm sure that once David Wright, um, ends his playing career, he will sit down and listen to every podcast that has ever mentioned him. Um, so he'll eventually get to this. Um, over the years that we've been doing this podcast, Jay, I've said a couple of times that, um, actually I've said repeatedly mm-hmm. that what I felt David Wright should do is to negotiate a buyout with the team because it was clear he wasn't going to end up back on the field and he was preventing the team from moving forward. It's the Michael Kadire plan. Yes. Um, And I had said multiple times that the saddest words in baseball are David Wright is resuming baseball activities. Mm -hmm. And I have advocated for David Wright, take the buyout. Mets, negotiate something. Let's move on as a team. And I want to just say that I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. Yeah. Because in my mind, I looked at this from a selfish perspective of I'm a fan who wants this team to win. And since it was clear that David Wright was no longer um, physically able to perform at a level that he was accept that was acceptable to him, um, you know, it was it's his right to, pardon the pun, to determine does he want to try to work his way back onto the field. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized is that he has probably known all along that his ability to play, even if he were to get healthy, was going to be limited to maybe this one 
tip of the cap. And I realize now, after two years of being very critical of David Wright, that he was willing to put in all of this work knowing that he would get what he's going to get today. Mm-hmm. One game. Yeah. And is there anything that says more sort of, I'm doing this for the love of this game than what David Wright has done. So what I perceived as selfishness and he's keeping the team from going forward really turns out to be he's willing to let the team do whatever it, it, yeah. it feels it needs to do, mm-hmm. but he just wants the right to put in this work to get on the field one last time to play the game that he's played his whole life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's also a larger sort of thing at play because, you know, we always think about... We think about, like, David Wright's playing career. And, and you're right. I mean, we're fans. We are selfish. That is part of our job. You know, we want the team to do well. And if there's something that is going to keep the team from doing well, we want it out as quickly as possible. So in our minds, once David Wright stops playing, he ceases to matter. But that's not David Wright's experience of his life. And But even more than that, he has a relationship with the organization that is going to continue past um, the end of his playing days. We, and, and Mets Nation as a whole, have never hesitated to complain when ownership and the front office does something poorly. But here's a place where we should, you know, point out that they seem to have done the right thing here. Yes. Because there clearly have been a lot of negotiations behind the scenes. There have been a lot of planning. There's been a lot of thought into how do we best wind down Wright's playing career so that he can continue to be a valued part of this organization and a face and ambassador um, going forward. And something the Mets have traditionally been really terrible at is, um, is their legacy, their history, and keeping relationships with ex-players. And they've made a number of moves in the past year or so to try and fix that. Recently, Jay Horowitz was promoted out of his longtime PR role to this new office of the head of alumni relations. Right. And it would not shock me that once they go through all the kabuki of Wright still has his contract, but he hasn't retired, so the insurance company can pay it off. And this is all like negotiate, like everyone's negotiated this, so it's not, no one's like pulling a fast one on anyone. But once that, that's over, I would not be shocked to see David Wright take a role with the organization in that alumni relations office. Right. And that's really valuable. And you don't want to, you know, slam the door on the way out and like lose that relationship for the next 20 years. That's a great point. And there are so few truly iconic Mets players. And there are really um, only one other. Uh, Ed Cranepool is probably the only other iconic Met who played his whole career as a Met or, you know, ended his career a Met. Um, You know, I look at the example of, like, David Ortiz with the Red Sox. David Ortiz didn't play his whole career with the Red Sox, Mm -hmm. but he played the meaningful part, and he he ended his career. So, you know, he got a, um, you know, sort of a a grand 
goodbye and will mm-hmm. continue to be part of the organization. And it's good to see that the Mets are trying to do the same. Yeah. And the idea that the Mets could possibly find themselves in a scenario where, you know, again, players from not just the distant past, but even players from the recent past, mm-hmm. um, yeah. participating, um, you know, being a presence in the ballpark. Um, you know, here in Los Angeles, it's it's not uncommon to see former um, members of the Dodgers, mm-hmm. you know, working in the organization yeah. as um, either as on-air uh, personalities or behind the scenes in sort of a, an ambassador role. In fact, in LA, there's a lot of sort of crossover um, with sports. Um, specifically, you know, Magic Johnson is part of the ownership group of the Dodgers. So if you go to Dodger Stadium, and I've been very lucky to um, to be able to go to Austin Dodger games in some really nice seats. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks to friends hooking me up, I've been able to sit like in sort of the suite level sections, nice. and you see the way the Dodgers honor their former players and the past. And like you know, Magic Johnson will just be walking around <laughs> the suite area <laughs> sometimes, yeah. um, and it's a different feel. And the Mets haven't had that, yeah. and I think having a prominent former player in that role may bring some other people out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So yeah, I, and I kept thinking, you know, I watched the, um, I watched Wright's pinch hit appearance yesterday. Yes. And, um, you know, it was certainly very emotional. Um, and he got a little more wood on that, you know, sharp ground ball than I, I would have expected. Well, I love the fact that he had two years to prepare, clearly said, okay, we're going to get a first pitch fastball here. <laughs> he saw his pitch, he took a swing. And I heard, I heard him uh, in an interview uh, say that, you know, he was just so so anxious and so nervous, and that that probably won't go away today. So today's his at bats might be two pitches instead yeah. of one. Um, but um, but the thing that really sort of came to mind when I was watching him yesterday in the on deck circle and then at the plate and then in the dugout afterwards, the word that that overwhelmingly just came to mind was gratitude. You could see how much gratitude he felt just to be there. Again, that and love of the game. Just to be able to walk out on that field and take one swing in an actual game that meant something meant so much. And and it's, you know, we talk so much about stats and wins and losses and, you know, this bum and that guy is disappointed. And just, just to see a, a, a player take so much gratitude from a single moment that isn't going to mean anything in the box score. Yeah, um, was really really nice to see. It is. I don't know if you've ever you know been somewhere knowing it's the last time you're going to be there. Yeah, and you know you stop and turn around. I remember the, being at Shea Stadium mm-hmm. and not knowing for sure, but being pretty certain. You know, at this point, it's you know 2006. Mm-hmm. I was pretty sure that I wasn't getting back. Right. Um, I remember being at what was when was the last year of Shea? Is it uh, 2008. Eight, and I was at the last game. Yeah. And everyone likes to complain about like, oh man, they totally bungled that. Like what? Like no, like whatever. It's the game on the field. They're going to win. They're going to lose. It's going to be good. It's going to be disappointing. That has nothing to do with the experience of being in the stadium the last time with Piazza and Siva yeah. walking out. Like 
I don't care that they lost the game and that it was disappointing and that they blew another playoff thing. That is a separate issue from we're in this stadium for the very last time. And yeah. Just let that stuff go and they, appreciate the building. I don't know that I would have looked at the field. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, but when you when you know you're somewhere for the last time, like yeah. when you're moving out of a house and, mm-hmm. you know, Which a little I bo- just did recently. Right. Behind the scenes, yes. like you've recently yeah. moved, but there's that point where you get all of your stuff out of the old place and then you go back one last time mm-hmm. and then you turn around and you're like, well, Look at it one last time. Never going to see these walls again. That'll do, House. Yeah. And imagine being David Wright and or any player. Yeah. I'm assuming that most players, when when their final at bat comes, they don't know it's their final at bat. And you think, hey, there's going to be, somebody's going to come calling. Yeah. So for David Wright to have this closure and for fans to have this moment, Mm -hmm. again, it really speaks to... Um, why we're here doing this? Sure. You know, it's it's easy to think like in look at the world, and we don't need to to get into we don't need to get into what's going on in current events right now and Please, the let's not. the horror show that the Mets continue to provide in a distraction from. Um, but there is. You know, why do we do this? Why are we here? Mm-hmm. And it's because we love baseball. And yeah. we love the Mets. And clearly, um, David Wright does too. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and the other thing is, it's not like the Mets have anything else going on. <laughs> I like, don't. The, the virtue of a lost season is that you can spend the effort on stuff like this. Right, but you know what? Let's. I, what I've been thinking about a lot, as really for the last month of this season, is... What am I watching for? Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been focused on. Right. So instead of following the games in the linear manner that I have, um, I've been watching games or listening to games while I'm doing other things, and I'm focused on certain players. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Jacob deGrom. Um, Having one of the all-time great seasons of a pitcher um, like ever. His, his last start was, was amazing. Was amazing. And... As you listen to it on Tuesday, um, I, I actually had it on um, the radio, mm-hmm. I had the, the MLB app you know, radio feed playing in my headphones, and then I had the TV on because I was at home. And what I found myself doing was listening to the Mets at bats on the, mm-hmm. on the radio because I wasn't as interested in those, and then running to the TV <laughs> to watch yeah. DeGrom mm-hmm. actually work his magic. And you realize, you know, you're seeing somebody just doing whatever they want. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, it's amazing. I kept thinking of, if you'll remember the, um, the, the VHS tape, 1986, a year to remember. Do I ever. And there's a clip on, um, on it when they're like, there's a section of it where they're doing a montage on the pitching staff. Yes. And there's a clip of Ron Darling. And this must have been like a nationally broadcast game because the announcer on the clip is a voice I don't recognize, but it's Darling like striking out someone to end a game. And the announcer says, the, the, the line the announcer says is, Darling coming to the wire like a thoroughbred. And that's, that's what I kept thinking about Jacob DeGrom the, in the last month is that He's just getting better and better as the season is getting closer and closer to its end. Yeah, I, almost, I the 
the shame of the Mets not playing in the postseason is that 2018 Jacob deGrom isn't going to be able to take the mound in a World Series game. No, no. But he's got to be a lot for the Cy Young. I saw someone uh, tweeting earlier today that um, Max Scherzer might pitch tomorrow, and if he has a good game, he can tie DeGrom's uh, uh, ERA if he pitches 107 scoreless innings tomorrow. Right. Um, and, you know, that's all That's all absolutely true. And, you know, Max Scherzer is amazing. I take nothing away from the job that Max Scherzer has done, and he deserves every um, bit of praise. And in any other season, he would be the, the near-unanimous Cy Young Award winner. Just not this year. But what Jacob DeGrom um, has done has been amazing. Uh, I did read an, an amazing stat in um, The Athletic this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I believe it was actually in like Jason Stark's last, um, uh, one of his last columns of the season. So there's a gem of a stat. I'm going to just read it verbatim. Um, the uh, Lucas uh, Giolito, mm-hmm. uh, Lucas Giolito has the highest ERA among qualified pitchers this season. He would need to throw 391 scoreless innings to lower his de- ERA to Degrom's 1.77, and this is as of Tuesday morning before he pitched. Next part. Degrom would have to allow 94 earned runs without recording an out to raise his ERA to Chiloto's 581. Wow, that's amazing. That's, yeah. we've, we've witnessed something really, really special this season with with what DeGrom has done. And between that and the, the steps that Zach Wheeler has made, the fact that Steven Matz has not missed significant time with an injury this year, it really does bode well. Um, I know we say this every, every of course. year at the end, it bodes well for next year, but this is all we got. Let us hang on to this. Um, yeah. yeah. The other players that I've been really enjoying, um, Jeff McNeil. Oh, man, he's amazing. Um, Brandon Nemo. Mm-hmm. Ahmed Rosario. Yeah. Um, they've been fun to watch. Um, other players who I think deserve uh, a lot of praise for the job they've done. Um, Seth Lugo and Robert Gesellman have both um, thrived this year. I think that Gesellman has especially really um, taken to the bullpen role. Mm-hmm. I know that Seth Lugo has said a number of times that you know starting is mm-hmm. the goal, but he's been terrific yeah. this year. You know, they talk a lot about when, when they're talking about roster design or what kind of team you want. Everyone's always talking about like, oh, you got to have young players. Young players are important. But they forget the other part of that equation, which is it's not enough to just have young players. You have to have a lot of young players who are all maturing at the same time. And what it feels like we might be seeing, at least over the last six weeks of this season, is Nimmo and Rosario. And, you know, throw Jeff McNeil into that um, kind of all taking that next step around the same time. And though he's older, Zach Wheeler has missed enough time that you could say that he's taking that next step. DeGrom is going from a great pitcher to an insanely great pitcher that, you know, if this progression holds, and I would even put Michael Conforto into that... um, Coming back from injury. 
coming back from injury, we've seen him be a very streaky player over the last three years. But the last couple of months, the consistency has started to come around. And so all of these players are taking the next step at the same time. That bodes really, really well for next year. As long as, you know, we've talked before about roster construction and they need to make some some changes. So should we should we start talking about I think it's time to start talking about next year. Okay. So to segue in there, I would like to actually backtrack to the beginning of this year or end of last year. Because if you'll recall, there's one player who I was I said, I was like, I what do I want for next year? I want the Mets to go and get this guy. This guy would be the thing that would make everyone around around him better. And if you recall, that player is presumptive National League most valuable player, Christian Yelich. Agreed. So I just want to pat myself on the back for that because I was right. Christian Yelich was awesome. And getting out of uh, of Miami and getting out of uh, Stanton's shadow, I think, has allowed him to take the next Yes. Oh, if we're issuing, hey, I was right about this. Please, go ahead. Oh, I've got one here. <laughs> First podcast of the season, yeah. I said. 162 and 162, 161 and 1. Right. I was not unrealistic. <laughs> I said, the Mets will be as good as Matt Harvey is. Oh, that's And you know what? They Turns were. out, I was correct. They were. They were. Yeah, yeah. So so I think going, going forward to next year, I think we're sort of in the same place where... They need to make one or two acquisitions, not just to get the glossiest name that they can or the right fit for the right position, but that person who will allow everyone else around them to get better. In ways like, you know, we've talked, and everyone's talked about how this has been another, like, really lost year for Dom Smith. Right. However, we have seen several times over the past few weeks how having somebody who is an actual first baseman at first base allows him and the infield to make plays where having a converted outfielder as a first baseman, those plays don't get made. And we're reaching a point where, yeah, we want the best offense on the on the field at any given moment, but we are giving up runs and hits and by having people play out of position. And my biggest hope for the next year and the the roster construction is that they can make a couple of moves that allow everyone else to play in the positions that they play and not out of position. I don't know who those people are, and it's going to be a rough job for whoever gets the GM position to figure out, but that's what I'm I'm hoping for. Right. We've talked about this before, but if you look at the way the roster is currently constructed... Um, what we know about the players who are under contract and sort of who is out there right now. Um, there are very few positions on this team that are set. Mm-hmm. I, I go into this thinking the Mets are set at shortstop on opening day next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rosario is going to be your starting shortstop. I think with the David Wright question answered, mm-hmm. I think it is safe to say that we're going to pencil in Todd Frazier as your opening third day baseman. Yeah. third baseman. Mm-hmm. And outside of that, your guess is as good as mine for every other position. I think that Jeff McNeil has played his way at least into going into spring training as the presumptive starting second baseman. Mm-hmm. But I think he still has to earn that. Yeah. What do you do? Who? 
It's a really big question. Yeah. Who plays first base for the Mets next year? Yeah. And it's an, and it's a weird situation in that at, at first base, right field, left field, you have uh, too many options without the clear one. And that, but that also goes into the we have to move people around because we have to find spots for everybody. And if there's a way to rebalance the roster, to me, the 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 three most important things, uh, the four most important things. We haven't talked about the bullpen, but you know, shoring the bullpen. That, that's all every year. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. But um, catcher, center field, and clearing. Some space so that we have, you know, that we have people playing in the position that they're supposed to play. Yeah. Those are the most important things. So, I, I am going to just put on my GM hat mm-hmm. right now and start looking at some of those at positions. At this point, you have as much chance of being the next general manager of the, uh, the Mets as anybody. So, I'm in the running. You're in the running. You, so, Ron Darling, everybody. I put my GM hat on, and there's a couple of decisions that I make mm-hmm. based on. Um, what we've seen this year. Mm-hmm. I think you you basically, when you look at the catching position, first question, Jacob deGrom, who do you like to throw to? Yes. Jacob deGrom likes to throw to Devin Mesoraco. Yes. Devin Mesoraco has been solid. Solid. Look, there aren't... there The, the pool of available catchers mm-hmm. are essentially at a level of Devin Mesoraco or below. When you think so about gotta, who's out there, I got a rule change that I'd like to propose. Okay, all right, and this is a this is a a reflection of the the way the game has progressed, and also the rash of injuries that not just the Mets um, deal with, but every team in the league deals with lots of injuries. I say increase the roster to twenty six, and three of those spots have to be catchers. Okay. Imagine if you could play catchers like you played middle relievers. Yeah. Where you did matchups, where you set... I mean, you know you can't throw a reliever six games in a row. Right. Like, imagine if the game changed so that the conventional wisdom was you can't have someone catch six days in a row. It just isn't physically possible. Like, imagine what that position becomes if you've got... You know, a, you've got three, you've got two guys who are, you know, platooning and then a third who is your backup. Does that cut down on injuries? Does that, you know, I don't know what that does. It's, it's just an, an idea. It's an interesting idea. Yeah. It is certainly the best catching related idea that I have heard. Um, friend of the podcast, um, uh, Tito, um, has a, has a, I don't want to give his last name because I haven't asked him if I could do that, but, um, he has a another catching idea, uh-huh. and I'm going to just share it with you because it offends my sensibilities <laughs> to such a level that every time he shares it with me, I get angry. And he says this, if there are no runners on base, why does the catcher have to stand behind the plate? Why can't you just, there's nothing in the rule book that says that's where the catcher has to be. It is there for strategic reasons. So that if there's a runner on base, they can throw to a base if they're trying to steal or they're at home for a play on the plate. Where does he believe the catcher should stand instead? Anywhere he wants to stand. It just has to be on the field. Right, okay. So why not get yourself? Pretty sure the rule book specifies he has to be in foul territory. 
Okay. Like I would like I would like someone to review like if there is something in the I rule book that says where the catcher has to stand. I don't. I think he just has to be on the field. So why not in full gear? Okay. That's the rule. He's got to wear the gear. Yeah. Just you have another infielder. Uh, I okay, trust me. Sure. I do not like this yeah. idea for the simple reason of what happens to the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about your uh, piece of play problems. Right. right. I mean, I understand, hey, there's no runner on base, so you don't have to worry about a pass ball or a wild pitch. Mm-hmm. But what happens to the baseball? It hits the umpire well, every time. Again, is the umpire's union the thing standing in, in the way of this? Right, right. The thing okay. is, it's, it makes me so angry. Yes. Because technically, he's correct. I don't believe he is. I, I would like to get a copy of the rule book and However, comb through it and find the reasons why you can't do it. It is maddening to me, just the idea of a baseball just also, you know, the umpire just you're gonna get out of the way. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's I believe we can describe that as the worst shift ever. Yes. Yeah, let's call it that. I mean you can't this isn't hockey, you can't clear your goalie like I don't. It doesn't make sense. I'm sure that he knows that this is impractical, <laughs> and he just mentions it because it drives me crazy. <laughs> oh, but man. I don't know. Nothing in the rule book says you can't put a pony behind the plate. <laughs> so we're gonna need to get a, get our hands on the rule book now. It's out there. Do that. Yeah. So I think Devin Mesorago goes into the season as your presumptive number one catcher. Well, they have to sign him first. He's a free agent. True. Who's getting? Who's outside of Geraldo Rivera? Mm-hmm. Who else is coming running for the Alcabone face <laughs> of Devin Mesoraca? Mr. Mesoraca, I apologize. But again, the league's not beating the path to Devin Mesoraca's door. Right. He's in that pool of replacement level catchers. Right. Yeah. Um, whatever they do, stability at catcher is right. is is important. And you know, would not be surprised to see them non-tender uh, Travis Darno. Right. Which is a shame, but you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, nothing against any either of the Darno brothers. No. Um, but at this point, we don't have that that three-headed catcher rule. Right, right. So you've got to, you know, there are just, there are more seats available. So. There are more players than seats. Speaking of saying things that are going to make you angry. Okay. I have a hypothetical here. All right, let's go. So there is a school of thought that says that you should trade players when their value is the highest. Is Jacob deGrom's value ever going to be higher than it is right now? Okay. No, it's not. Yeah. And I have advocated for selling high in the yes. past. Yes. We have talked about, um, we talked about this back at the end of the 2012 season. When season's over, we're like, oh, the best thing for the Mets to do right now is to trade R.A. Dickey. Because mm-hmm. so, they'll never, this is as high as his value is ever going to go. Mm-hmm. I had said um, after Matt Harvey's first full season, like, a great time to trade Matt Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, however, when you have a pitcher like Jacob DeGrom, who is pitching at a Clayton Kershaw level, mm-hmm. there are certain players who, if you are the Mets with the Mets history, I'm thinking specifically of Tom Seaver, mm-hmm. and I am not saying that Jacob DeGrom is pitching like Tom Seaver, but Jacob DeGrom is the closest thing we have to Tom Seaver well, right now. What? 
he is pitching like Tom Seaver. And all of the stats that have come out at the end of the year, there are now three pitchers in the firmament in Mets history. Yes. That DeGrom has, has with this season, reached the level of Gooden and Seaver. What he has to do is he has to have sustained success yes. at this level. But even Gooden didn't have sustained success at this level. But Gooden had more success than you think. Yeah. There's a common um, there's a common belief sort of that history tells us is that after 1985, Dwight Gooden was not an effective major league pitcher um, or was not an elite major league starter, and the numbers don't back that up. Dwight Gooden was a I don't want to say elite, but Dwight Gooden was a legitimate number one starter. Probably through the 1991 season, which is a lot longer than people give him credit for. Dwight Gooden had about a seven-year run. Um, first three years were brilliant. It's just that 1985 was so ungodly that that and that you get used you get you get to think that that's the baseline, right? And anything that falls short of that is a disappointment, which is insane. So if Jacob Degrom comes out next year. Um, you know. Jacob Brown has an ERA next year of 2.37. And we're going to be like, what happened? Right. So, you know, it's, but I think that right now, in at this point in Mets history, Jacob DeGrom is untradeable. Mm-hmm. I think everybody else on this team is, is potentially movable, but you have got the player who kept people interested this year. Yes. And I, you know, I think about the Mets fans who I know. You know, either personally or through mm-hmm. just fandom, and you don't find anybody having a bad word to say about Jacob Degrom. Yeah. Um, I think he is. You know, nobody is completely untradeable. You know, if somehow through some series of events the Mets could end up with both Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, but only if they trade. Well, you know, the platonic ideal, you always go back to that 1990 trade between um, the Blue Jays and the Padres. Where they Fred, Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez for Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter. Wow. And it's yeah. like two you know, stars for stars. Like, like, they don't make deals like that anymore. Right, you're sort of old-fashioned like, challenge trade. Yeah, but like... Like if that if that was in the cards, if you could trade Jacob Degrom for you know I don't know I can't think of who the the, the right like like if you could trade Jacob Degrom for Mike Trout, boy, like that's I first of all I I think that Mike Trout is more valuable yeah, but that reminds me of the famous and possibly apocryphal trade of Ted Williams for Joe DiMaggio. Do you know this story? I don't know this story. Apparently, over dinner, mm-hmm. um, and probably over a dozen martinis. Yeah, you got to have a lot of scotches before. You yes, have the um, Yankees and Red Sox uh, decided to swap um, Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio. God, just for the idea. Picture the idea of Ted Williams hitting in Yankee Stadium. Oh God, um, and as if Ted Williams was not. An unlikable enough personality. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine him also being a Yankee. Mm-hmm. Now, this is to take nothing away from Ted Williams, the man. Um, I highly recommend if you haven't seen the American Masters that aired on Ted Williams earlier this year. Um, I'm sure if you go to your local PBS um, website, it's available on demand. It's 
fa- fascinating. But you know, there's always been the talk of like what would happen. So hey, just imagine like th- who could you reasonably get back for Jacob Degrom? And the problem is with the economics of this game mm-hmm. skewing towards hey, the greatest value in sports, the idea of here's why you need young players is team control. Mm-hmm. The other reason Jacob Degrom is untradeable from a practical perspective is Jacob Degrom is very affordable right now. Only a couple more years, and his uh, his agents have really been starting to agitate about that. So they're I saw have, that they're going to have to they're going to have to pay him, or they're going to have to trade him. Well, Jacob Degrom is under contract to the Mets for 2019 and 2020. Mm-hmm. As a fan. I would like to see the Mets say, hey, we're going to tear up the last year of your contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to pay you. We're going to, you know, do what, um, boy, it's a bad example. Uh, don't do what the Phillies did <laughs> with Ryan Howard, where it starts at the end of that. Yeah. Basically say, hey, I mean, if the Mets wanted to do the generous thing, they would say, we're going to tear up the last two years. And we're going to sign you to mm-hmm. a team friendly in the overall standings. But, you know. A massive bump. Mm-hmm. I think that would certainly sign him. But let's be realistic. Right. How long? How many years do you want to sign any pitcher for? Because the way that the economics of baseball work mm-hmm. now is there is very little upside for a team to sign a pitcher to a long-term contract. Yeah. I mean, that was always Sandy Alderson's thing. He never wanted to sign anyone for longer than four years. Mm -hmm. Here's an interesting wrinkle, which is that, you know, the the biggest question and the one that they're going to have to answer right away is who's going to be the new general manager. And so there are all kinds of names that have been tossed out. But there's one name that has come out in the past week or two that is really interesting, and that's Brody Van Wagner. Not familiar with him. He is Jacob Degrom's agent. Oh, oh, yes, he's an agent. He is like a one of the like Scott Boris level agents. Okay, and his name has been uh, bandied about as a potential general manager. And I don't believe he's the first agent to move to the front office. No, but um, doesn't it seem like? Doesn't it seem? Let's just say. Cozy, maybe. I mean, I mean, you figure he'd have to, you know, divest, divest himself from the agency. I believe he may actually be a CAA agent, right? But doesn't um, but be- that's probably a better that's probably a better uh, comp, which is it would be someone like Michael Ovitz, who like goes from being an agent to running a studio, mm-hmm. and you figure, well, they've been on one side of these deals for years and years and years. Now just like transfer that. Knowledge to the other side. I don't know. So you're looking at a GM as purely a business person as opposed to somebody making player moves. So you end up with somebody who's a general manager who takes care of the business side who hires a player personnel. Probably. I mean, they're going to have to hire a whole bunch of people anyway, but but I don't know. Like, like I don't have a feeling about it one way or the other, but just it would be interesting if the guy who's been you know, chastising the Mets for two years to sign Jacob right. for the long term is suddenly the person in charge of making that decision. I mean, if the first thing they do is sign Jacob DeGrom to a 25-year contract, I will think... That's a little much. Right? I will think, hmm, yeah. seems odd. So what else are we looking forward to for 2019? Really, at this point, I'm looking 
forward to 2019 simply being here. Yes. Because... <laughs> I'm looking forward to the possibility of 2019 happening. Yes. Because it's touch and go at this point. You know, at the end of the day, tomorrow, tomorrow will be September 30th, and when the Mets leave the field tomorrow, we're not going to see them again until February. Mm-hmm. We're not going to see them in games that count again until April. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a long... It's always a long... Long offseason. Baseball is just... I, I think that the NFL offseason is technically longer, mm-hmm. but the Major League Baseball offseason feels like it's forever. I don't know. I've sort of felt like we've had less and less of an offseason over the past several years that the hot stove season just gets longer and longer. And especially in a year like this when, when the Mets are going to be hiring a new GM. Yeah. And then, you know, there are probably going to be some, you know, big changes coming. I get that'll it. Keep us, that'll keep us occupied. For I long. know. But for me, it's like it doesn't matter until there are games to yeah. be played. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm looking forward to 2019 just getting here. Mm-hmm. Um I'm looking forward to not having to listen to games through the uh, 710 WOR feed anymore. Um, that's going to be a nice a nice change. Although, um, when they change stations, they have to renegotiate deals with all the broadcasters. They're obviously going to you know make a deal with Howard Rose. You can't you know not do that. But, you know, uh, I wonder if Josh Lewin is still here next year. And Josh Lewin has been a broadcaster who, over the past, he's been around three or four years. I've really come to enjoy his work. I really enjoy not only what he brings to the broadcast individually, but the rapport that he and um, Howie Rose have. Mm -hmm. um, The rapport that he has, you know, every now and then when somebody will fill in. Um, You know, I know that Wayne Rendazzo occasionally Mm -hmm. fills in when Howie's got an off day. Um, Josh Lewin does a great job. Yeah. And I I really like him. Um, I do hope that, you know, that he is back in the booth next I year. I do, too. The other thing I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about is, so, the, the new station, WCBS 880, is owned by the company uh, Entercom, I think it's called. Entercom also owns WFAN. Interesting. And so, there has been sort of a policy since uh, the Mets left FAN that their personnel does not go on, on the station shows as guests and vice versa. And so with both stations owned by the same company, we should see that no longer be the case. And what that could lead to is the return of the voice of Ed Coleman. Oh, I shows, hope so. Which would be lovely. I have to say, I still have a, um, like, there's a mental allegiance to, not allegiance, but there's a mental connection between FAN and the Mets in my head. Like, in my head, I still say to myself, let's go Mets! F-A-N! Yeah. And yep. it's not that anymore. Nope. And it just, like, mm-hmm. I, but I feel the same way, like, I remember being deeply offended when the Mets, um, sort of uh, over-the-air broadcast rights went to WPIX. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. That's, that's Channel 19. Yeah. Channel 11's an American League channel. <laughs> Everyone knows Everyone this. Everyone knows that. Jeez. It's an American League channel. Um, so in my head, I'm still on like a core level. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I get attached to essentially jingles and commercials. <laughs> um, but you're right. I hope that Ed Coleman has... 
did such a great job for so many years uh, covering the Mets on WFAN um, and sort of just being part of the fabric of mm-hmm. the team. Mm-hmm. So I hope that happens. Yeah. Be yeah. good. Yeah. Um, I hope to, one of the things I really hope to see, we've talked about this um, uh, a number of ways, is getting more women involved in the Mets broadcast. One of the things that I've really enjoyed this year is the couple of times on the radio broadcast that Newsday's um, Laura Albanese Mm -hmm. came and sat in the booth. Yeah. And I think that she did a great job. She's done some stuff on SNY as well. As I've said many times, the, the, the women who are fans of the Mets are... As smart and as knowledgeable as any guy you know. Sure. And there's no reason that they shouldn't be equally represented in the broadcast team. And I'm talking about like, hey, if you're gonna if Josh Lewin is not coming back, partner Howie Rose mm-hmm. with a woman. Yeah. Um, there are there, you know, Jessica Mendoza has shown that you can absolutely uh, do that. Um, being a, you know, you're it being able to broadcast a baseball game has nothing to do with your chromosomes. All you need to do is know the game. Yeah, yeah, that would be cool. That would be really cool. And I, I still have, you know, I'm still on record as uh, hoping that Kim Hing gets a gets a long look as potential uh, GM yeah. of the team. That would be really neat. I again, for me. What am I looking forward to? I'm just looking forward to having something to look forward to. Yes. Um, So, today, I am going to, with a sort of heavy heart but a smile on my face, watch David Wright play Mm -hmm. his final game as a New York Met. Um, And I'm going to hang around because uh, if you heard, um, after he leaves the game, he's going to join both the SNY booth on TV and um, the radio booth Mm -hmm. for however long that those half innings last. Mm -hmm. And then apparently, uh, by the time you hear this, um, you'll know this, he's going to address the fans. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to that, mm-hmm. the way, like, you know, we, we learned in history about, like, George Washington's farewell address. Right. Like, right. I feel like this is the Mets equivalent of George Washington's farewell address. <laughs> and Hey, if it's good for Luke Garrett, it's good for You know what? Oh, what if David Wright steps onto the field and just word for word. <laughs> today, 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 today. I consider myself, myself, myself. Just. The luckiest man, 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 on the face of the earth. Which right. then brings me to, I don't know if you remember the SNL bit where Norm MacDonald was playing Lou Gehrig. No. So he gets this big round of applause for that. And then he says, I was being sarcastic. <laughs> I have a disease that is so rare that they named it after me. Oh, oh, oh man. And on that note, yeah. I think we should probably... Say goodnight for 2018. Call it a season. Um, but before we sign off, if you're uh, if you're one of our dozens and dozens of listeners, um, uh, reach out to us. On, uh, Will is no longer on Twitter, but uh, I still am, and I'm running the Flushing Transit Twitter account. So if you've uh, if you've been listening, if you've enjoyed anything, if you've hated anything that we've had to say, uh, give us a shout, and we'll. Um, We'll uh, we'll start storing that up for uh, for the return of Flushing Transit Authority in 2019. I think here's an idea because we are of a similar age. Do you remember when MTV was airing The State? Oh yeah. And they went between season one and season two, mm-hmm. and they had a bit where 
if you were a fan and you reached out to them, they would include your name in a sketch in the second season. So I want to say it's in the first episode of season two of The State. At one point, all of these names scroll by the screen. So what I'm saying is, if you are one of the dozens, and by the way, I'm grateful to every one of you who has listened to Jay and I doing this. We've often said that this is podcast is an excuse for Jay and I to sit and talk about the Mets, Mm -hmm. and if people happen to listen to it, that is a wonderful bonus, (laughs) and I am very grateful for everyone who has listened and who has contacted me and Jay and talked about this with us. Um, This is a labor of love. We love the Mets, Mm -hmm. um, and we like talking about them, and we like the sound of our own voices. That too. So... Um, if, you, if we hear from you, we're going to work your name into things somehow. As as grateful as David Wright is to get a couple of last moments on a Major League Baseball field, that's how grateful we are for you uh, for listening to us. So we are going to press stop here, and then we're going to just stare at this microphone for a little bit. And sometime in February or March, or maybe we'll do it earlier if, if events warrant, but, but sometime a few months from now... We will see you up once again. Yes. At the baseball movies. Oh, I missed I miss my cue. <laughs> you get to deliver the line. Thank you, Jay. It's been a great year. Great year. See you in the spring? Spring. All right. Yeah. We're all good. All right. Thanks, everybody.